Good morning, everyone. Um, like Mark said, my name is Jason. I am the next-gen pastor here, which means I get to hang out with everyone from your babies all the way uh, for, through your college students. Um, and I wanted to just say happy spring to everyone. Is anyone enjoying spring break by chance? Any students in the house? Any teachers? Yeah, we can give it up for spring break. I see you out there. I also want to say hi to our friends. Let's give it up for our friends over in the Centrum that are watching our video venue. You got, we're glad that you guys are here. Uh, this morning, um, we are, like, like Mark said, in week two of a series called Pulling Weeds, which I think is appropriate for spring, because this is that time of year where you start getting tons of mail, things in your mailbox talking about, hey, we can help with pulling your weeds, we can help with your landscaping. This is that time of year where we have to start thinking about the things that are stealing from our lawn, or maybe if you're a farmer, from your crops. And the reality is, this is the, the reason why we dig so much into pulling weeds. Um, and I don't know about you, when I even hear the name pulling weeds, it like brings up my childhood, like flashbacks of my childhood, because this was like one of the four chores that we had to do as kids every week. We had to, what was on the list of pulling weeds. And when it was my time to pull the weeds, it was miserable. I would do anything to trade that chore with any of the other ones. There was just something about getting on your hands and knees and getting dirty and pulling them out. It was miserable. And times were different back then. I'm a little bit older than some of the students here. Um, times were different. Um, we used to have outdoor chores day, which I'm pretty sure was like my parents just being like, we're going to relax in here day, because they would just push us out the door and be like, have fun today. And we would, you know, be working out in the lawn and we'd be like, I'm thirsty. And they were like, water hose. It's right out there. Um, just things were a little bit different. But man, for me, pulling weeds was never something that was incredibly fun for me. But it's something that as I've grown older, it's really important. And the reason why is because in your soil, there's a limited amount of nutrients. There's a limited amount of sunshine that is, going, that is trying to hit your lawn. And what you don't want is for the weeds the things that are unhealthy, the things that you don't want there to steal those nutrients. And as we just, if you're new here, we just finished a 10-week series a couple weeks ago called Rooted, where as a church, we dove into what God says, some of the basics about what God says about our faith. And the reality is there are things that are trying to steal. There are things that are trying to rob us of our joy, of our peace, of our tranquility. And on the surface, a lot of the things that we're talking about in this series, they might not look like huge deals, but if you let them grow, they will end up being catastrophic and harmful to your faith. And like Mark said, we are talking today about comparison. And for you, I don't know when comparison, when you think back of when did comparison start becoming a thing in my life? I don't know when that was for you. I remember for me, it's probably way earlier, but a very specific moment where it was true in my life. And it was when I was in sixth grade, um, where I grew up in Texas our sixth grade, what, what would happen is first, you know, kindergarten through fifth grade, we would go to an elementary school. And then sixth grade, before we got to junior high, we had our own, like, it was called an intermediate school, which is where all the sixth graders from all the different elementary schools, they would put us in, in one school together. And it was kind of awesome because they were kind of teaching us what we were going to learn in middle school. But at this point, it was a, just a it was just for sixth graders. And for some reason, this is when I, for the first time, I realized there is a social hierarchy that I am in. I grew up in a, um, in a suburb of Dallas, which is known and, and was known as a very well-off suburb. And I just have to admit, my family, we were not well-off. We were struggling. 
Um, and so I remember in sixth grade specifically seeing groups of friends that even at that young age, there were groups that I would want to be a part of that for some reason I could never really jump into. And I would strive and I would try to make myself look as cool as these guys in this circle. And I would try so hard. And I remember at this point, actually I think they're still kind of cool, all the cool kids at our, in our intermediate school, they wore these shirts called polo shirts. You guys have seen those. There's a little polo player. None of us played polo, but for some reason that was a cool thing to wear. And there was a little, the way, the way you knew it was a polo shirt is there was a, literally a guy playing polo on it. And so I, I always wanted one, but that was really tough for my family to afford. We had four siblings. It was just tough for us to afford the nicer clothes. Um, but one day my mom came home and she brought me a green polo shirt. And I was so excited to wear it. I can like literally remember what I was wearing the first day I wore it. I, I worked really hard on my hair. I put on my green, my green uh, polo shirt. I had these dyed jeans that I wore back then. We used to roll them up in like a tight, do you guys remember like the, kind of like the tight roll at the bottom? And I was doing that and I'm like, and I had these blue and white Nike, Nikes that I wore. And I'm like, okay, I look like all the cool kids do. And hopefully they'll notice me and maybe I can just kind of sneak into that social circle that I've desperately wanted to get into. And so I showed up first period and it's kind of one of those things when you're in sixth grade, you're like, I don't want people to notice me, but I want people to notice me, you know? And you're like, I don't want, I'm not gonna say something like, look at my new shirt, cause that kind of, like, that's not cool. I was like, maybe they'll notice. So I go in, I'm wearing this green polo shirt. And sure enough, they noticed. And this kid, I can, I, can rem I can tell you all the first and last names. It's that vivid. And he looks at me and he goes, did you get a new shirt? And I said, yeah, it's a polo shirt. And he goes, yeah, that's not a polo shirt. You're wearing a Knights of the Round Table shirt. That is a fake polo shirt. See, polo guys look like this. You're wearing a knight that is leaning forward. That's a fake polo shirt. And they all started to make fun of me. And this like desire that I had, even at that young age, I'm telling you, I can remember their names specifically because it made such an impact on me. And I went home, and I got home before my parents did, and I took off my shirt, and I threw it away. And I hid it so that my mom wouldn't see it because I knew that would offend her, that I'd get in trouble for wasting money. But moms have superpowers, so somehow later that night she said, Jason, can you come out here? And I came out, and she was holding the green shirt, and I just, I just knew, like, this isn't going to be good. And I was like, try, honestly, I'm not proud of this. I was literally trying to think of, like, what's a story I could come up with? Maybe my brother stole it. Like, what is a story so I not get in trouble? That was what I was thinking. And I just, like, could not think of one. You don't have a good story lined up for when you throw a shirt away. And so I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, I just got to own this. She says, why, why, did you, why did you throw your shirt away? And I told her, I said, Mom, I wore it today and people made fun of me because it's not a real polo shirt. It's actually a fake polo shirt. I remember her looking at me and I was ready for a lecture to be like something along the lines of like, you, you have what you need, what, not what you want. I, I was expecting a lecture and I saw the pain in her eyes and she just threw that shirt away. And at that moment, I don't think I realized exactly, and being a parent now, trying so hard to provide for my little baby, 
to imagine her getting made fun of, I, I, I can't imagine what my mom felt. But here's what I knew. That in, this, in my striving to achieve, my striving to fit in, my striving to be cool, what I ended up doing was offending and hurting the very people that were closest to me that cared the most about me. And it reminds me of a, a quote that I heard much later in life when I was in college by a mentor. And it, it's a quote that I've heard often, and it's, it's uh, attributed to Theodore Roosevelt when he says this, comparison is a thief of joy. Comparison is a thief of joy. And really the main point of this, to this whole morning that we're going to talk about, this weed of comparison that if on the outside maybe doesn't look like something that's going to affect us, but if we let it grow in our heart, it will steal our joy. It will st steal our peace. It will steal our contentment. And really the whole point of this talk, yeah, I could sum it up in this, is that there is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. I don't know what that is for you, but the reality is for me, that comparison game hasn't stopped, even though I learned a valuable lesson in sixth grade. I still find myself looking at other people, comparing myself to other people. And I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's looks, wanting to be taller or skinnier or have more hair. Or maybe it's the neighborhoods that you live in or the neighborhoods that you drive by and you know that you could probably never live there, and it does something when you think about that. Maybe it's just the style of a home. You get on Facebook, and you see these beautiful homes that are designed a certain way, and you know, man, I don't know if I have the ability artistically or financially to ever make my home look that way. I don't know if it's wealth. I don't know if it's a car or a truck that you're, that you're looking at. I don't know if it's job titles, job even just having a job. I don't know if it's where you went to school, where you go to school. Um, sometimes, even for me, if I'm really honest, I can play, this is me being, I'm not proud of this. Even, in the, even when I go to church, if I'm healthy, if things are great in my heart, when I leave church, here are the questions that I ask or here are the statements that I say. I say, man, God, was my heart pleasing to you this morning? God, what do you want to teach me through the word that you opened up this morning? Those are like the healthy questions. Let me tell you when I'm not healthy, and I'm being honest. And maybe I'm the only one here. here, here here's the questions, here's the things that I, that I say. I say, I like this type of song. I like it when this type of teacher teaches. And I even find in this moment here, this moment where we're supposed to be focusing on God, what do you have for us as a community? I'm going, I'm just going to stick to my preferences here, and it steals my joy. Um, I have my wife and I, we, we had our first kid uh, 11 months ago. She's almost a year old, and that is tough for me because it has gone quickly. And we have gotten a lot of advice. Um, young parents, you probably know this. Um, some of it is just completely unsolicited advice. I'll be at Kroger and people are just lobbing out advice grenades to me. And I'm like, okay, thank you, random stranger. I'll, I'll take that into account. Um, someone gave us advice. It might have been one of you. My wife and I literally were like, who told us this advice? We don't remember who it is, but it was brilliant. 
Because here's what happens, especially for parents who have young kids. The comparison game comes up in a new way, and they said this, never compete with your spouse on who's more tired. <laughs> we do that. We, we find ourselves struggling with that, or we say, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so, especially when the baby was really young. And by the way, even comparison games, the question they ask, and I understand why they ask the young parents, they go, is she sleeping all the way through the night yet? And I'm like, is she supposed to be? Because no, she's not. <laughs> but now I feel inferior knowing that maybe she should be doing that. So thank you for continuing to ask me that. So, but we would compete. We would be like, man, I'm so tired. I had to work and the baby woke me up at 3 a.m. And she's like, I had to feed our child four times in the middle of the night, so maybe. And we would just get in these weird competitive things. I'm really not proud of this one, but sometimes I find myself competing, and I'll say this. I'll say, um, she's dirty, which is my very passive-aggressive way of saying, like, I changed her last time, so your turn. She's like, did, did your hands fall off? Like, what? Just... Remember the one plus one equals one thing here? We're one. Change your diaper. So, um, and don't judge me. Some of you guys are like, don't judge me. I'm being vulnerable. I'm opening them up to you guys. Don't judge me. Um, but the reality is that comparison, it will steal our joy, and there's no win. And the reason why there's no win in comparison, because there's really one of two ways you can go with it. When you decide to play the game of comparison, there's, there's one of two doors that you're going to open up. And the first, the first curtain that you're going to open up is, it, it's, it's with the, behind the first curtain, it's, it's envy. Behind that first curtain of comparison is envy. When you look at people and you say, they have things that I want. They have a relationship status that I want. They're doing things. They're going on vacations that I wish I could do. And you find yourself not being content with what you have and being envious of that other person. And the second thing that we're going to talk about, the second curtain that opens up is the opposite where we say, hey, it's pride. Where we start comparing ourselves to people and go, well, not everything's okay in my life, but at least I have more than that guy does. At least our life is doing better than this couple or this neighbor or this brother-in-law. At least I'm doing better in that way. When we play the comparison game, there's no win thing because we're either being envious or prideful. And the reality is when we compare anything, not even ourselves, just anything, we, what we have to do when we compare to make a point is to bring something up and at the same time tear something else down. In the sports, sports world, there is a debate that annoys me so much. And it's a debate, it's like the easiest debate. As soon as we're going to put a picture on the screen and whenever we put it up, you're going to be like, I've heard this debate so many times. And the question is, who's the greatest of all time between two basketball players, these guys? How many have heard that debate before? Who's the best between LeBron James and Michael Jordan? It's a, a crazy deb a debate for basketball stars to go. And here's what, it drives me nuts because we'll never really have an answer for it. Like, I know who I prefer, but it's because I was like a kid when Michael Jordan was dominating. And like, I literally like drank the Gatorade of the Michael Jordan Gatorade. I wanted to be like Mike. But... If I, were, I have no stats behind it, and the reality is the only way we could really tell is to somehow bring LeBron James from like his prime, put him back in the 90s and say, here, be on the Bulls team. Because what you have to do on whatever team that you're on is what you, whether you're Team LeBron, if you're Team LeBron, this is what you have to do. You have to go, here's the deal. 
You have to look at Michael Jordan and go, and you have to find the faults in his game. Say, Michael Jordan wouldn't be Michael Jordan if he didn't have Scottie Pippen right beside him. And LeBron James never had that type of team, and when he did have that type of team, he won. But if your team, Michael Jordan, you have to look at LeBron James' team and go, yeah, but that dude won championships. MJ won championships, and how many times did LeBron? And the reality is they're both like once-a-generation type players. They're amazing. Even when you're not comparing yourself, what you have to do is bring somebody up and bring somebody else down. It's a no-win game. What we're going to spend most of our time talking about today, if I'm honest, it's, it's that first curtain. It's envy. And not that pride isn't a big deal, but in this series, one of the topics we're talking about is judgment. Another one is entitlement. And I think a lot of that will fit in that category. So we're going to hint at it. But really what I want to spend a lot of us talking about is what erodes our soul when we allow comparisons to, to lead us to a point of envy. In the Bible... Uh, there was a, a king named Solomon, and the Bible says that he was the wisest man in the world. And he wrote some of the Proverbs that are just amazingly wise Proverbs, and he also wrote a book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes, because with his wisdom, he was able to look around, and he was able to see how much that people were focusing on things that were pointless and meaningless and it drove him crazy. And he writes this, and I think it's a word that has been speaking to me, and I hope that it speaks to us this morning. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 4. And it says this, And I saw all the toil and all achievement spring from what? From one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. He says, hey, I see all these people working hard. And they're working hard just because they want to somehow achieve what their neighbor has. And it's pointless. But he doesn't just leave it there. And I think this is important. Verse 5, he says this, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. In other words, fools, you're foolish if you don't do anything, if you're lazy. I think this is important. What he's not saying is, listen, comparing yourself is meaningless, so just don't do anything. And he goes further, and I think this is kind of his, how he lands the plane here. He says this, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. He says this, hey, listen, the goal is not to just be lazy. We still have to be diligent. We still have to use the gifts and the talents that God's given us. But what we have to do is find this balance, find this balance between working hard and being, living with tranquility, living with peace, living with joy, living with contentment. I mean, can we just say, our kids need to learn that. As I see Little League starting right down the road here, it's super exciting, but let me tell you, I, and, and, and we have to admit, we live in a culture that is kind of really frowning upon um, participation trophies these days. Participation trophies are really getting a bad name. We're like, no, we need to teach kids that there's a winner and a loser. No such thing as participation trophies. And I get it. But here's the deal. We also have to teach their kids. I, I am all about working on a team and saying, hey, this team won. Let's keep score. This team didn't win this time. But we also have to teach them their value isn't in winning. Their value isn't in how hard they're achieving. Because there's not much more pressure than we can put on a kid 
than when him and his teammates look around and go, we make a lot of adults happy when we play good. That's a lot of pressure. We have to teach them, yes, work hard, use your talents, use your gifts, and at the same time, your talents and your gifts, that doesn't define your worth to us as parents and specifically to your heavenly father. I think we need to acknowledge right here in our area, something amazing happened yesterday. Our Silver Creek basketball team became state champions. That was awesome. And I don't know all the kids on that team. A lot of them come here. A lot of them go to our, our rising service. And the ones that do come here, man, they're good kids. And I've gotten to know a few of the dads on that team. I even was texting some of them yesterday, like, congratulations, because what a cool moment. And here's what I love about their dads. Yes, their kids worked hard. And yes, their kids are better than at their, they, they beat every other team in the state at their division, and that's amazing. But they're also teaching their kids their value isn't just in this trophy. And if they came up a little bit short yesterday, their love for that kid wouldn't be any less. Man, we got to teach our kids this. This idea, and we have to learn it ourselves, this idea, yes, I work hard, yes, I'm using the gifts that God's given me, and yet I have an open hand to be content in the exact circumstance that I'm in right now. And can we just admit that social media, like, isn't helping in this battle? Can we just admit that? Like, I mean, I am, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. And by the way, whenever someone starts a sentence by I'm not a conspiracy theorist, you're about to hear a conspiracy. Um, uh, I don't know for a fact, but it seems like this thing is listening to me. Um, does anyone else feel like that? Like I'll mention something to my wife, and then the next thing you know, I look at Facebook, and it's like the very first like, sponsored ad, and you're like, I'm on to you, Zuckerberg. I know what you're doing. But man, let's be honest. When we look at social media, it's crazy how easy it is to play that comparison game. I found an article a couple years ago in Psychology Today, and it talked about escaping the comparison trap, and it focused specifically on the, how social media, because the reality is the comparison trap has been here well before social media, but man, social media has just turbocharged it. And it focused on a couple things. It said one of them is that social media, what it talks about is that it allows people to put their highlights. We don't put like our average days on Facebook. We don't put our average days on Instagram. We put the very top thing. And when we compare our average days to everyone else's peak moments, their highlight moments, it can become damaging and difficult for us. Also, even when we look at when, when people tend to look at social media, when do we look at it? Oftentimes it's on our breaks, it's right before we go to bed. For a lot of our students, it's right when they wake up. And these are times when we are programmed to be self-reflective. We're programmed at those moments to say, God, what are you teaching us? What are you teaching me? And when we're programmed to be self-reflective, and then we we log on to something that is showing what everyone else is doing. It just, uh, it's like a one-two punch that allows us to feel inferior, to have envy. And specifically for teenagers, there's a part of a teenager's, all of our brains, called the striatum. But in, in the, with teenagers in specifically, specifically, they are 
at a time when they're this part of their brain, it's going crazy. And here's what it feeds off of, off of peer acceptance. And they need it. And when they receive peer acceptance, it releases dopamine into their brains, which is not unlike drugs. And so our teenagers, man, when they log on and they need, they, even if they see someone they look up to that believes what they do, it triggers this part of their brain. And so we have so many adolescents who are quite literally addicted to picking up their phone and looking at social media because it's, it, it's at a time. And so parents, man, we have to remind our kids over and over of who they are who they are in Christ. That's what, why what we do here with our youth ministry with, with Kyle and Jacob and Kelsey and Samantha is so important. And they've done a great job of recruiting 70 adult leaders who can walk alongside of our parents and speak the same truth to them, but in different ways to try to say, no, 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 no. Don't run after these likes. Run after what is most important. And let me tell you that what God says about you trumps what people on earth say about you. Because envy, man, it'll grab a hold of you and it'll steal your joy. The second curtain that we talked about is pride. I like to define pride as an overestimation of self and an underestimation of God. It's when we look and we say, all right, I'm going to elevate myself and I'm going to say I don't need God. And so a lot of times envy and pride are saying the same things in different ways. Envy is looking at God and make no mistake about it, there is a spiritual aspect of envy, because here's what you're saying. God, you're not giving me enough. And pride is saying similarly, but in a different angle, God, I don't need you. And so envy, these two games that we're, we're playing, there is a deeper spiritual battle going on, and it's something that we have to eradicate from our lives. So the question is, how do you eradicate comparison in your life? How do we get rid of this? And I have two answers. And one of them is incredibly practical. And the other one is one that takes us, uh, it takes our heart to grasp. And the first one is this, incredibly practical, but difficult, especially if we're not secure in who we are in Christ. And it's this, is we celebrate others. We celebrate others. Romans 12, 15 through 16 says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Man, when we are in a good place, when things that we are, are desiring for our own lives to happen, like when, that, when, when things are happening for our friends, even if we long for those in our own life, we need to celebrate them. And the, re the reality is, and this is where I, I know I'm kind of diving into some more serious topics. Because the reality is there's, there's many of us, when we look around, and we also look inside and say, God, you know the desires of my heart. And yet we get on social media, and over and over again, it seems to highlight in other people the very thing that we're wanting for ourselves. I know there are couples that are praying and desiring for a child. And it's really painful when you show up at a fa family gathering 
And a cousin says, we're pregnant. We didn't even mean to. You're like, seriously? God, where are you? I kind of joked earlier about relationship status, but the reality is, man, when we log on to Facebook, and that's something that we're desiring, and it just seems like over and over again, oh, a new engagement. Oh, cool, I got asked to be in another wedding. Awesome. They're like, God, do you know what's happening here? And words are important. And what I'm going to encourage you to do, and like I said, this is, it's very practical, but it's difficult, especially if you're not confident in what God's doing. But man, what I want to encourage you to do is when these things happen in someone else's life, because their journey is different than your journey. And when their journey goes through a time that needs to rejoice, you rejoice with them. And words are important. Write them a note. Congratulations on that job promotion. Congratulations on that engagement. I, I mean, I just have to say this. Like, even here, like me teaching today, I'm, I don't know if, if, if you're new here, you maybe had someone that, wow, what, that brought you here that was like, he's not our normal guy. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm usually with the kiddos or the junior high kids. But I got to teach, and what's cool, normally it's Nate, our lead pastor, George, our teaching pastor, Ben, our college-age pastor. And I have to say, yesterday before I taught, all three of them, independently of each other, they didn't coordinate it at different times throughout the day, all three of them sent me encouraging text. I just have to say, for someone who's worked at a few churches that hasn't always felt this way, it's just good to be at a place where everyone, we're not trying to build a certain person's kingdom and they're saying, hey, the reality is there's no competition here, man. If God speaks through you, that's a win for the kingdom. So that's a, that's a win. And that's a good thing. Yeah, that's an exciting place to be. We celebrate others. And that brings me to, to kind of finishing it up. And I'm going to use it by telling a story um, in my own life. Uh, you guys might know I, I got married later in life, the average age uh, for Americans, for a female to get married is 26, for a male it's 28. I'm not, I'm not saying that to put any pressure on you, that's just the stats. Um, and for me, I got married in my late 30s, so I was kind of bringing that down a little bit. But I remember one specific vacation that my family went on, family vacation, I mentioned I have three siblings, there's four of us, and we all, our family, we went to Maui, spent a, we saved up a ton of money to go to Maui as a family. Uh, what I didn't really think through was this was the first vacation that all my siblings were married. Uh, my youngest sibling, who got married first, um, she actually had two kids, so she brought them along. And so it was just this great vacation, but the spotlight on my singleness was like very bright that trip. Um, <laughs> it was like having Celine Dion moments the whole time, like the, the all by myself uh, thing. Uh, <laughs> There was one night in particular, and it really was a great trip. I was in Maui, so don't feel bad for me. Um, but I was, there was one night in particular that everyone, all the couples wanted to go out on like a romantic date, and so I got to babysit the two kids. Uh, so finally they came back, and I just remember at this point I was 32, and I just took a walk on the beach of Maui by myself. 
And I remember thinking this. And honestly, I, I wouldn't even say like I was like lonely. Here's what was my thought. I graduated college 10 years ago, and I'm in the exact same life stage. That was my thought. I was comparing myself to the, my like expectation of where I would have been. And I just remember sitting there, walking down the beach, and just going, all right, God, like, you kind of know my desires. And I'm just walking through. And as I was walking, I looked up and I saw the stars. And I remembered in the Psalms where it talks about that God, he named the star. He called them out and he named them. I also remember reading while I'm walking and saying, I'm like, I, there's a, stati a statistic that is amazing to me, that in the known universe, for every grain of sand on this earth, there are over 100 stars in the sky. And I'm looking at all these guys. By the way, if, if your loved one gave you a name to star after you this last Christmas, like, not incredibly, uh, there's a lot of them to choose from. That's all I'll say. Uh, <laughs> he could probably have given you a thousand stars. But anyways, God, I'm looking up at these stars, and I'm going, God, you're big. And then I'm watching the, the, the water come in, and it stops at a certain point. And I'm remembering in Proverbs where it talks about God is the one who makes the water stop at certain points. And while I'm walking, and frankly feeling sorry for myself, I'm looking up and I'm going, okay, God's big, and he's in control. And if he's in control of this whole universe, and he knows all the stars by names, I got to assume he knows me by name, and that he's got this. And then I looked down, and there were two sets of footprints. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a Christian subculture joke. Um, see, there's this poem, and uh, there's... Uh, here's the second thing, and this is what I want us to end on. It's this, is that we celebrate Jesus, our Redeemer. Because let's be honest, when we talk about comparison, when we talk about envy, here's the deeper issue. When we look at other people and we say, I wish I had what they had, here's what we're saying. I don't know if I'm worth as much as that person. It's our self-worth. And from someone who got a business degree, one of the first things they teach you in business, one of the first things they teach you in economics class is that something is worth what someone else is willing to pay for it. I want us to read what we're worth here today as we leave. This is found in Romans 3, even though this idea is found all over the New Testament. It says this, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Hit pause real quick. You talk about two groups that like to compare. You talked about two groups that thought they were better than one another. There's no difference. Why? Because they have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. What are we worth? What did God pay for us? He paid his own son for us. He paid, he redeemed us. Redeemed is a word that we use often here. We redeemed a coupon. It's a financial word. And he says, hey, you're worth 
is found in how much that I've given for you. And man, we need to celebrate in those moments, in those vulnerable moments, when there are attacks trying to still the joy, the contentment, the tranquility in our hearts, that we say, I'm not, my value isn't found on what I do, on what I own, on how I look. My value is found in the fact that I'm a son and daughter of the king who died for me. So let's pray in that direction this morning. Lord God, thank you for loving us, not based off of our achievements, not based off of our looks or our talents, God, or how hard we try, but thank you for loving us despite all of our shortcomings. And God, may we as a church, may we as a church, may you stir in our hearts an affection for your son Jesus that is so powerful and so real that it eradicates this no-win situation of comparison and envy and pride in our lives. And we love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we're able to pray. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you guys for being here this week. We'll see you next week.